0: you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hosea chapter 1. We're going to begin a study today of, of the prophecy of Hosea, and it is a very provocative uh, account that we're about to read, and it might even offend us, uh, some of the language that's used and some of the activity that's, that's being described here, <clears throat> but in it uh, we will find a great expression of God's covenant love to his people, and and it's it's so worth it. Uh, it's something that I've been wrestling with for a couple of weeks now, and uh, it's it's not the easiest passage to read or study, uh, but well worth. It. Of course, always God's word is worth the effort and the study. But I'm really excited about the Book of Hosea and the the message that it sends to us. I remember talking to someone, I can't remember who it was. <clears throat> I've narrowed it down to two people. Uh, uh, two women that uh, uh are friends uh, of ours, and I remember one of them I can't remember which one, but they were we were talking about church and worship and and uh she was just saying, "You know I just want to I want to go to church and hear about the great love God has for me as one of his people, and that is exactly what we're going to hopefully experience today as we think about what God was saying to Israel through the prophet hosea we're going to read the first three chapters." That sounds daunting, but they're short, and, uh, and we're going to look at these, uh, Lord willing, for a couple of weeks and, um, and see how far we get. But let's hear God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name, not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked, and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst upon her children also, I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom, for their mother has played the whore, she who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, "I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool, and my flax, my oil, and my drink, therefore I will hedge her up her up her way with thorns." And I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than, than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for bail. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time. And my wine in its season. And I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt, And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever." I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people and he shall say, You are my God. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and lethic of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would would bless the reading and hearing of your word. We pray, Lord, that it would, that it would remind us once again of Your great love for Your people. Lord, we pray that You would draw us into uh, a faithful relationship with You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to give you a little background. Well, first of all, let me my outline. Is, I have two points today, <clears throat> and I and I the. The copier is having a few problems, so I didn't give you the outline that I usually would give you, but just if you want to, you are taking notes and you want the outline, number one, we have a wife who will not be faithful, and number two, we have a husband who will not give up. And uh, under that husband who will not give up, we have two points, he pursues and he purchases. So that's where I'm heading today. But just to give you some quick background of Hosea... Hosea uh, prophesied during the latter half of the 8th century B.C., in the late uh, 700s, right before Israel fell. His his message was addressed mainly to the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, Israel, uh, the ten northern tribes, and in Judah, the ten, the two southern tribes after the death of Solomon split into two kingdoms. Israel was less faithful than Judah, and Judah, uh, Hosea is ministering at the time right before Israel is going to be conquered by the Assyrians and they're going to be sent into exile. Judah will last another 150 or so years uh, because of their faithfulness to the Lord. Hosea ministered to, mainly to that northern kingdom, uh, that very unfaithful northern kingdom. Uh, what we have here, if we outline the book of Hosea, the first three chapters that we just read are this real-life representation of what God wants to communicate to his people. Uh, God often did this with the prophets. He, he would give a picture through the prophets. For example, uh, Ezekiel. He, he told Ezekiel to do several things that seemed very odd, but he would do these things publicly. One was that he would to uh, take a big brick and and etch a... Uh, kind of the skyline of Jerusalem on this brick and, and, and build, uh, place, a, place it on a mound of dirt and build siege works against it and take an iron griddle and hold it up between himself, Ezekiel, and Jerusalem as a symbol of what God was going to do and God was going to hide his face from the people. It was kind of a, a living illustration. He also told him to sharpen up a sword and shave his head with it, which is kind of crazy, but it was a picture of what God was going to do. He was going to cut him down. He was going to shave Israel down to the ground and send them into exile. He had Ezekiel pack all of his bags and walk through a hole in a wall uh, and doing this public you know it was kind of a, a, a dramatic presentation of the message God had. But Hosea is called to take this sort of thing to an entirely different level, as we see there in verse two. "Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom." And in the Hebrew, you know, that awful word, whoredom, is actually repeated four times uh, instead of the three that we have in the English. Uh, It's very uh, stark and provocative and very extreme. And it's because of God's passion for his people. He's trying to shock them and wake them up. But we have to understand some things about God and his relationship with his people. We must understand that God relates to humans covenantally. The covenant God has with his people is the bond that says, I will be your God and you will be my people. He's always said this. If you look through the Bible, and find, you can find that phrase from Genesis all the way to Revelation. God is pursuing a people for himself. And he's built a relationship with people. God graciously and persistently pursues this kind of relationship With human beings like you and me and marriage is a picture of that covenant relationship you think about passages like Ephesians 5 that talks about the relationship Christ has with his people uh, like the relationship a man has with his wife Uh, throughout scripture marriage imagery is used to communicate the close relationship God has with his people Hosea Picks up is called to pick up this theme uh, because the people have forsaken their husband, they have forsaken the Lord. It says there in verse 2. Now, chapters 4 through 14, we'll get to that later. Uh, it's more of the prophetic words, the words that Hosea proclaimed to the people, and mainly it is a lawsuit a covenant lawsuit against the Israelites. God is taking his people to court and is accusing them and asking them to answer for their crimes against him. All those things in mind, uh, as as we think about this marriage imagery, uh, this image that's given to us in Hosea's prophecy of, of covenant unfaithfulness, of breaking... Uh, the marriage bond, uh, that's easy for us to understand. You know, it's a, it's a good picture for us. I mean, we can understand that because we see it so much in our day and time. But as we see this, we want to look at the two parties. There's the wife who will not be faithful, as I said before, and two, a husband who will not give up. So let's look at these two in turn. First, we have a wife who will not be faithful. We've already read verse 2, and the unfaithful wife in Hosea's context is the nation of Israel. They were guilty of pursuing and worshiping false gods, such as Baal that was mentioned there. They were also uh, guilty of immorality, bloodshed, and political intrigue. Just as a side note, in verse 1, it mentions that Hosea ministered during a time of four kings, from judah uh, but it only mentions one king from israel and there were several other kings after that king but they're not mentioned because they all came into power by assassination and it's almost like god is saying through isaiah those kings don't even count they're they're not even legitimate at all in any way shape or form not that the others were legitimate either So, this was the type of society that Israel had devolved into. And all of this stemmed from them forgetting the Lord, taking Him for granted, as we see. If you look at chapter 2, you see what's going on here in this, uh, using this type of imagery that Hosea is taking up in his life. Uh, Verse 5 of chapter 2. Uh, Their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. We'll get to the children later, Uh, not today, but later on. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. Verse 7, she shall pursue her lovers. Verse 8, she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold, which she used for Baal. Verse 12, I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages which my lovers have given me. See, She's attributing all the things, the good things in her life, to her false gods, to these other lovers, not to the Lord. And in verse 13, really caps it off. She went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Well, I wonder... I wonder uh, who has not had the experience of being forgotten or, or taken for granted or of being taken advantage of by someone you know many of you have had strangers take advantage of you it 's really irritating. it happens a lot to me, uh, I guess because i 'm a pastor and people always come around lo- looking for help uh, and for handouts and Sometimes people are legitimate, uh, many times they're not, and, and when you get, you figure out that you've really been taken advantage of, it's irritating, but you don't know these people. They're not, you're not close to them in any way. You don't even know them. However, it's much worse than irritating to have a friend take advantage of your kindness, uh, to have a friend take you for granted and then leave you out uh, when it comes time to go out and have a good time or to, to uh, enjoy one another's company. And even more painful would be the scenario that's before us today, to have a spouse who enjoys all your love, uh, all, all the the good things that you do for them, only to be unfaithful to you with someone else, completely ignoring how much you put into the relationship, how committed you are to it. That kind of betrayal is is much worse than the offense of, a, of being swindled by a stranger. But this is the kind of be- betrayal God has experienced from his people here in Hosea. The people for whom the Lord has done everything. He has provided absolutely everything for them, and they have forgotten him. Now just to bring that to us today, how many of us have forgotten the Lord How many of us give the Lord the time of day? How many of us take the Lord's mercies towards us for granted? How many of us even have a relationship with the Lord? Do we take all the things that he gives us? Have we forgotten about that? You know, even every breath that we take, the Bible tells us, is a gift from God. Everything comes to us from his hand. Every good and perfect gift now some of us realize that we've been unfaithful that we've fallen short and, and we don't feel like we're worthy anymore to have a relationship with the Lord that we're too bad for the Lord I just point to Gomer look at her I mean she's running after everybody everybody who's not God and still God is pursuing her and looking for her and seeking her out. I want you to think about that today, those those questions about forgetting the Lord, forsaking the Lord. Maybe you've wandered and strayed and fallen into sin. That's the same as idolatry. As we think about ourselves, as we think about our church, we think about all of God's people and how easily it is for us to forget the Lord well, that's the bad news in the passage. There is good news, lots of good news in this passage. And if you sense like Gomer, you have violated the relationship with God, your relationship with God, or, or maybe you don't even have a relationship with God, then the good news here in this passage is number two, that there is a husband who will not give up. He will not give up in two ways. First, he pursues, secondly, he purchases. Now he pursues, <clears throat> first of all, through pleas. No E on the end of that. P-L-E-A, a plea, a plea. Remember what we're reading here and why we're reading it. God has called Hosea to give them a very provocative picture of the relationship from God's perspective. God is saying, Hosea, go to these people and show them what they're doing to me. Show them how they're treating me. It's provocative and shocking because he wants to wake them up because he's concerned about them. He loves them. He's pursuing them. He's pursuing them through this message that he sends to them through Hosea. If he didn't care, he wouldn't have sent Hosea or any of the other prophets. He would have just written them off. But he's continuously sending his word. You know, one of the saddest things in Scripture is in the story of King Saul. You know, Saul was the first king of Israel. And at a certain point... In his uh, in his rule, uh, God really abandons him, and he it says in the, in Samuel that he no longer received God's word. Samuel the prophet ministered to him and, and gave God's word. He was cut off from Samuel. He was cut off from God's word, and that is a sad place to be. No response from God whatsoever. But that's not what we have here. We have God sending Hosea and people like Amos and other prophets to the northern kingdom so that they might see the error of their ways and come back to the Lord. That's, what this, that's what's going on here. He's pursuing them like a jilted husband who will not give up. He's given him three children and, and given them these crazy names so that they would see the judgment that's impending upon them to wake them up. So see, God is, is seeking for them. And look at chapter 2, verse 2. Plead with your mother, plead. For she is not my wife and I am not her husband. The relationship has been broken. Plead with her that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. So God is pleading through Hosea to us today who may have forgotten the Lord or forsaken the Lord or taken the Lord for granted or maybe has, have not given the Lord uh, our time have not uh, contributed to the relationship in any way, shape, or form. He's still reaching out to us. He's still pursuing us. And look at verse 14. Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Isn't that a great encouragement to us? To, to return to the Lord. This is Gomer he's talking about. The one who's run off with all the other lovers. He's saying, I'm going I'm to take her off And we're going to go on vacation, so to speak. And I'm going to get her off one on one, and I'm going to speak tenderly to her. And the Lord will speak tenderly to you today. He will forgive you and cleanse you. We read it in Psalm 103. You know, the Lord is gracious; He's slow to anger; He's He's abounding in mercy. So, God is pursuing His people through their through the plea that He makes, but He also does it through chastisement. And this is interesting. Uh, he, first of all, uh, is threatening to take away his mercies if you, and leave them to their own devices. Several things in chapter 2, verse 3, he's going to strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I'll have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. So he's going to remove all the things that he's provided for them, for her. He's going to, to take away all the good mercies that, they, that uh, they have enjoyed all along. Verse 9, same thing. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season and I will take away my wool and my flax which were to cover her nakedness. Verse 12, I will lay waste her vine and her fig trees of which she said, these are my wages which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall devour them. See? when we have forgotten the Lord, we have forgotten that we we walk under His mercy constantly. As I said before, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Every breath that we take is a gift from God. Everything that we have that is good is from His hand. Even unbelievers, the Bible tells us, enjoy God's common grace. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. They enjoy the benefits of of crops that are produced through the rainfall falling upon them. That's all God's mercy to the whole world. Even if you're an unbeliever today, you experience God's mercy and his grace. If God removes that from you, uh, it's, it's bad. You know, a lot of people... Think of hell as the absence of God. It's not the absence of God. It's the absence of God's grace. If God were to remove all of the gracious things that he does for you, it would be hell. You know, we, there would be nothing but his wrath there left for us. And that's what hell is. So what God's doing here, what he's threatening to Israel, is to say, look, I'm going I'm to take away all these good things that I have lavished on you. You know, it's like a a spouse saying to uh, another spouse, a husband saying to a wife, you know, you don't love me. You're not going to pay attention to me. You don't want to have this relationship. Well, I'm not going to give you any money anymore. I'm not going to do anything for you if you're not going to do anything for me. So God is removing his grace from them in order to wake them up because he's pursuing them. He's saying, look, I'm going to do these things so that they will say, I was better off with my original husband. I should go back to him. Look at all the good things that he promises for us and all the good things that he did. So he's trying to help us see that all these good things are from his hand, from having that relationship with him. And then he, he not only chastises them by removing his grace and mercy, that the gracious things that he provides for them, but he also... Uh, gives them an unsatisfying pursuit. Look at look at verse six. I will hedge her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. So he's he's saying, I, I, I'm going to make it very difficult, make your life difficult. You're going to you're going to try to run off here, but I'm going to put things in your way barriers to keep you from actually finding any satisfaction in the things that you pursue you know when we stray from the lord and we start pursuing other sinful things it is a great mercy of god when we wake up and find out that those things aren't very satisfying or or what we were finding satisfaction in uh, you know the the, the gold grows dim Uh, it's no longer fun anymore and we're not satisfied in those things. Some of you are at that point today. You know, you're, you're at the end of your rope, so to speak. You, you, you feel so unsatisfied in life. That's God speaking to you. God is trying to wake you up. And he's putting a hedge and saying, you're going about it the wrong way. You should be pursuing me, not these other things. Verse 11, I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. See, She's, she found joy in all these things and that joy is going to come to an end. Same thing. You know, these things that we pursue, these idols of the heart that we chase after in our lives. You know, it could be physical things like food and drink or relationships or you know, success at work or money, success, Pride. God is being gracious to us when he makes us realize that these things will not give us lasting joy. That's what he's doing to Israel. Putting an end to your mirth. Are you unhappy today? Maybe that's God trying to tell you something. Turn to him. Are you finding the way rough in life? Well, Think of it as God's mercy to you if you've forsaken the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that Becoming a Christian will automatically make your life easy. Quite the contrary. It will make your life difficult. (laughs) Uh, There's suffering. There's trials. There's tribulation from the world. But the joy that a Christian has is even in the midst of trials and difficulties and the problems that come with following Christ in this life, we know, for example, Psalm 23, even though we've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. His rod and his staff comforts us. Maybe your life isn't easy. Are you experiencing? Do you have that relationship with the Lord that, uh, that comforts you uh, through that trial, that difficulty? If not, maybe you should return to him and find that comfort even through the trials. Well, lastly, not only does he pursue through pleas and through chastisement but he purchases and this is my favorite part uh, chapter 3 sin is slavery before we we look at chapter 3 sin is slavery and idolatry is bondage See, Israel is described as this harlot and her lovers are not gracious and kind to her once they see her lewdness they turn on her They don't want anything to do with her anymore. Um, Sin will not satisfy you, and it will only put you in bondage. But here's what the Lord said to Hosea. Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods, and love cakes of raisins, that would be some of the food that they served at, at the temples where they would worship Baal. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and lethek of barley. That would be a bride price, a price for getting someone to be your wife. You, you paid the family uh, a price. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. A lot of what's going on in Hosea is talking about God's covenant with his people, as we said at the beginning. If you look back, for example, at Moses, when Moses is given the law, God rescues the people. He, he gets them out of bondage from Egypt. And at Sinai, he graciously gives them his law. And he, he says, here's how, I, I, as my people, I want you to live. This is how uh, I want you to flourish, by following these laws that I've given you, for your, for your benefit. And the people said, we will. We agree. And God says, if you follow me, if you keep my covenant, you will be blessed. But if not, you're going to be cursed. And there's a whole array of curses that are are listed in places like Deuteronomy. Well, in that covenant relationship that has been broken here by Israel, God is threatening the curses of the covenant. And you can see that more spelled out in 4 through 14. It goes right down the list of some of the Curses that God has threatened in Deuteronomy that's coming to fruition here in their unfaithfulness in Hosea. But God is going to buy them back. And how does he do that? Through Jesus Christ. It says there in, in the final verse, "...the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days." What did the true king do? He came and on the cross he bore the covenant curses for us. All the curses that are due to us for being unfaithful to the Lord, for wandering from him, from taking him for granted, for pursuing other lovers, all those curses that should fall on us fell on him. He bore the curse. He was made a curse for us on the cross to pay the penalty for us, to pay the price, to buy us, to redeem us, to make us His children. That's what the Lord has done for us. He is the King, David, uh, the fulfillment of that promise, the, the covenant promise to David. And so now we can come to the Lord. We can have that relationship with Him. So I wonder today, you find yourself, like Gomer, having wandered from the Lord, you've broken your covenant with the Lord, well, maybe it's time to have a, a renewal of your vows. You know, sometimes people go to the beach when they're, they've been married for 25, 30 years or so, or 40 or 50, and they renew their vows to one another in a sweet ceremony. That's what we can do with the Lord. He's always welcome, welcoming us back, like the prodigal son's father running out to meet us we just turned to him renewing our covenant with the lord saying yes lord i've i've wandered and i want to heed your call you know i'm burdened with my sins and you said come to me all who labor and are, are, are all who are burdened and heavy laden and i will give you rest i'm going to come to you lord and he will welcome you in and he will he will marry you i will betroth you to me forever verse 13 says. And even if you don't know the Lord today, if you've you've never been in a relationship with the Lord, that's the invitation to you as well, to come and and find in him uh, a husband, even if you're a man, (laughs) you're still the bride of Christ, to find a husband who will welcome and love you and provide for you and care for you and cleanse you from sin, wash you and renew you and make you his own forever. What a great loving Heavenly Father we have. And what a beautiful picture this is, even though it's quite racy and nasty in many ways. But it shows our sin, but even greater, it shows the great love and mercy and kindness of our loving and faithful God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for how powerful it is to communicate to us your great love to us. Lord, we pray that each person here would answer that call to come to you, to come back to you. Lord, forgive us for our many indiscretions, for our outright spiritual adultery. Forgive us for loving things that are hateful to you. Lord, cleanse us, renew us, and may we enjoy your salvation. May we enjoy that relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.